Well, we come to uh, the fourth of four messages, teachings on um, asking this basic question, hypothetical question like, what if there were no forgiveness in the world? What if there were no Jesus in the world? What if there was no Bible in the world? That's what we did last week. And then today we wrap it up with, what if there were no grace? Once again, kind of like forgiveness, this one's sort of a theoretical word, you know, it's a, it's a concept, grace, forgiveness. And so we want to ask the question, I think it's an important question, because I think sometimes we drift off badly, very badly, in our belief and in our faith and in our Christianity. And so this morning, I just want to bring us back to the really heart and center and the core of Christianity. And maybe this morning, maybe you've been in church your whole life, you grew up with it, but somehow you drifted off into it's a bunch of do's and don'ts and moralism and, uh, and just real uptight. And then maybe some of you just never go to church, whatever, ever, and you have no idea about, well, what's the Christianity thing really all about? Well, this morning, I'm going to, in my humble opinion, I think it's the core, the center of the whole deal is right here. And so we're going to try and work that through. The idea of God being a gracious being, being a gracious uh, entity, comes really only from the Bible. <clears throat> this idea of God being gracious comes from the Bible. It goes all the way back to the second book of the Bible in Exodus, uh, Moses leading the children out of slavery, out of Egypt. Um, and uh, I'm going to take you to Exodus chapter 34, if you got it on your phone or whatever, if you have a Bible app or whatever, you might want to look at it yourself, but you don't need to unless you really want to, and that's up to you. Now, just to set the stage here, a little bit of context on this scene here in Exodus chapter 34, you know the original Ten Commandments that Moses got up on the mountain, uh, Moses broke them. He didn't drop them, he threw them, because Moses got anger issues, and the ones that God gave Moses, that God scribed, so to speak, um, metaphorically with his own finger, he threw them down. All right, Moses, you messed that up. That would have been really cool if those would have been kept. That'd be really neat. Instead, Moses has got to go chisel out two new ones, and that's where we pick up the story. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him. Now, wait, just stop for a second. Here's this word, uh, we used this last week, but if you weren't here, no biggie. This word, Yahweh, when you see in your Bible translation, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, they mean this word, this unspeak, unspoken, unspeakable name of God, which means translate into I am and, or to be, and we still don't know what that means. It means everything. <laughs> so, when you see that here in this text and it says Lord like that, it's using that word, okay? Just, there's your footnote. Okay, as the Lord commanded him, he carried the two stone tablets in his hands, verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, with Moses, and proclaimed to him, the Lord. Just says like, my name, I am. And he passed, God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. Now, so God declares these famous words right out of God's own mouth. The idea of God being gracious and compassionate and loving comes from God's own voice. We didn't think the thought about God as much as it comes from God's own mouth. This passage, this passage, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and and abounding in love, is quoted some 35 times in the Bible. It's actually for the Jews in the Bible. It becomes a code language. Like it's God's bumper sticker. If you're like, well, if you needed to sum up God as a Jew back in Moses' time and even up to Jesus' time and actually even in and out, you would say God is compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Notice that they left off gracious, like God originally said. They got it down to just the God is, you know, compassionate, and he's uh, slow to anger, and he's, and he's abounding in love. Where'd the grace go? Hmm, Jesus had the same question. Where'd the grace go? By Jesus' time, God had stopped being gracious to the Jews, in their opinion. What they were left with was something we might as well just call religion. I'm not really down on religion as a word, but oftentimes in our culture, we don't like, like people like to say, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You know, I have faith, but I'm not really much on doctrine or dogma and, you know, and all that kind of thing. Like, okay, that's cool. Everybody can think whatever they want. But religion's not a bad word, except when it just turns into this set of rules, into moralism, into legalism, into just a bunch of do's and don'ts. When the world starts turning into who's right and who's wrong, who's out and who's in, we're in trouble. We have lost the God of the Bible, and we've become judgmental. Notice here in the text that God doesn't say, hey, I'm omniscient, and I'm omnipotent, and I'm some other om words that you don't understand. Instead, God uses these relational words. I'm loving. I'm slow to anger. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. All people kind of language. Okay? So we jump ahead some 1,200 years from Moses to, you know, 1 AD or the Common Era. And we find Judaism deep in the throes of a graceless religion. No grace, no compassion, no slow to anger, no abounding in love, just rules. Rules and rules and rules and rules. It had turned into a religion. And the people are scared. And they're scared of the religious leaders because the religious leaders were the ones that were most, mostly writing all the rules up. If there were no grace, then we'd be left with a religion just like the Pharisees had come up with during Jesus' time. So Jesus steps into this, and he sees this, and he says, I've got to reframe God for the people and do so in the most drastic terms because we've lost our God. So here's what he tells them. He tells them a story right out of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. If you want to look that one up, you can. If you you don't, that's just fine because I'm just going to paraphrase it anyway. Matthew 20. Early one day, a landowner, Jesus tells the story, went out, to hire some workers for his vineyard. So let's just say it's 6 a.m. Crack it on, yeah? He went out into the marketplace where the day laborers are to be hired. Now, I have a perfect picture of this, and I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, uh, unless you go to Manpower or something like that, but growing up, or not growing up, but living in California, I didn't grow up there, I grew up here. 
uh, in California, if you drove up to Home Depot, there would be 30 men standing in the parking lot. And if you drove up in a pickup, you were going to get swarmed by guys wanting to work that day, especially if you show up early in the day. As the day goes on, that crowd gets smaller and smaller as guys get hired off for the day. So I have this picture, and so maybe you can have that picture in your mind too. Just imagine that if every time, and maybe depending on what part of town you live in or whatever, I don't know if just it develops. I don't know how this works. But if you showed up at Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that, you may actually get some, some help if you wanted to hire some people. Okay? So got that in your head? So this owner of the, of the vineyard, he shows up at his first century Home Depot. No. He shows up in the marketplace where the day laborers are waiting to be hired. And he tells some to go into his vineyard and work. 6 a.m. Okay, they take off, and he says he's going to agree with them to pay them a full day's wage. That's fair. That's cool. That's what everybody does. It's just a standard drill. So they go off to work. About 9 o'clock, the owner comes back, and he wants more workers. So he hires more workers at 9 a.m. Okay, great. They take off, and they go to work. Noon comes. Owner shows back up at his first century Home Depot, hires more guys, sends them out to the field in the middle of the day. Three o'clock shows up. You can see the pattern starting to develop here. Jesus shows up again. Uh, Jesus shows up. The homeowner, landowner, vineyard owner shows up again, hires more guys. Three o'clock in the afternoon, sends them out into the field. Five o'clock. Owner shows up, hires more guys, sends them out into the field. Only a couple hours, hour and a half left of working time in the day. Now, it comes time to get paid, and the owner sits down at his desk, and everybody lines up. And the guys who started working at 6 a.m. that morning, Jesus says, they're thinking like, this is awesome. Because even though we agreed to a full day's wage, those guys that are getting at 5 o'clock, they just got paid a full day's wage. Worked an hour and a half or two at most and got a full day's wage. The guys who started at 6 a.m., they're thinking, this is going to be awesome. We're going to get like, I don't know, maybe double or something. 3 o'clock, full day's wage. Noon, full day's wage. 9 o'clock, full day's wage. Hmm. The guys that started at 6 a.m., they get a full day's wage. Well, of course, these guys are totally complaining to the owner. Like, we worked here all day long, and you're paying us a full day's wage, and those guys that came at 5 o'clock are getting the same exact pay that we got? And the owner's like, is there some injustice here? Didn't we agree to the full day's wage when you started at 6 a.m.? They go, yeah. Well, what's there to talk about? And they all go shuffling off. Jesus had to use this illustration, this story, this parable to describe something we call grace. It doesn't make any sense. It's goes totally against rationalism. <laughs> it's totally irrational. It's, it's a random, senseless act of, of just absolute grace. There's no other word for it. This is grace. And so I'm going to write up here the word grace. Grace. That's what, that, that's what Jesus was trying to describe. 
But when you work all day long out in the sun and you get exactly what you're supposed to get, what you agreed to, isn't that just? Yeah, that's just. So when, when you get what you deserve in life, right? You break the law, you go to jail. You agree to get paid, you get what you're supposed to get paid. Whatever it is, we're going to call that just or justice, okay? So here it is. Write in the word justice. Right? Justice and grace. Now, I think that most of us, though, when it comes to thinking about God or religion, I don't think we are very familiar with this idea of grace. Now, if you're a legalist, if you're a moralist, if you're like some kind of fundamentalist or whatever, you think God is only just about justice. And that's true. God is about justice because it says right there in Exodus 34 that God's going to punish sins on and on and on. So justice gets done in God's world. But God is gracious and, and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love because that's what it says on his bumper sticker on his coffee mug. Grace comes in. See, I think most of us are thinking about a middle term. I think what most of us are really counting on getting from God based upon our good deeds in life because we behaved well, I think we want God to be something in between, something where we earn our way to heaven, to eternal life, to being in good with God. I think we're all thinking about, instead, I think we're talking about mercy, Mercy is where someone does you a favor, right? You don't deserve what you get, but they give you a favor. They, they let you off, right? They let you off. Mercy is like when you get a speeding ticket and you go to court and the judge reduces your fine. Justice says when you get a speeding ticket that you broke the law, you know you broke the law, the police officer, he or she, they know you broke the law, the judge knows you broke the law, you pay the fine and, you, you know, do your time or whatever you got to do. That's justice. Society works that way. Everybody exhales and it all says, oh, good, I'm glad we got justice. Of course, unless it doesn't work, and then we're all pretty ticked off about that. But let's just move past that point for a moment. What we don't ever get in the courtroom is grace. Because grace, just to beg the metaphor of the speeding ticket out, grace is this. Instead, the judge would say, yes, you are absolutely guilty of the full extent of the law, of the crime you have committed, and you are supposed to pay in full justice. You are supposed to pay. But it says here on the docket, in the court record, on what was written up, that you didn't just break the law speeding. You ran over a bus stop full of small children on their way to the museum for a field trip. Killed them all. And you haven't said you're sorry. You haven't done anything like that. And then the judge says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pay that for you. And so the judge starts taking off his robe. And he comes down from around his, you know, big old chair thing. And he says, I'm going to go to the electric chair for you because you deserve to be killed for your crimes. That's what the law says. 
you're a murderer. And you're like, that's the most ridiculous story I've ever heard. What judge would ever do that? Jesus did it when he went to the cross for you and me. That's who comes up with that. And that's grace. That's grace. Grace is irrational, it's radical, and it doesn't make any sense. That's what grace is, and that's what kind of God we have. And that's the God of the Bible. Not a judgmental, not even just merciful. And I don't mean to be politically incorrect here, but I'm just going to say this anyway, and I'll catch heck for it later. But there are other religions out there that say their God is merciful. And that's cool. But every time I hear that, I just think like, yeah, I think that's why I'm a Christian, because my God is gracious. I'm not counting on my good deeds getting me in good with God. I'm counting on the fact that I deserve justice and grace is going to step in and save my sorriness. I'm counting on grace. All Christianity is counting on grace. The Jews of Jesus' time were counting on grace, but then they forgot. And they drifted off into this sort of religion of do's and don'ts and rules and thinking that they were going to earn their way into God's favor. When I, um, when I think of grace, after all these years, there's still really only about one film that comes to mind. Uh, it's 1986. It's a classic. It did well in the box offices. It was one of uh, Robert De Niro's best films. It's called The Mission. And the mission, uh, actually, you can see the, I'm going to show you a clip, and it has the start of some really famous actors in there, Jeremy Irons and I think Liam Neeson, stuff like that. And uh, let me set this up for you, because I think this is a great illustration of grace. Uh, De Niro's the main character, Robert De Niro's the main character, and he um, is a slave trader, way probably before America, or pretty close to it colonies are probably just getting started. So this is like 16th century. He's a slave trader and goes into Central and South America, steals indigenous people or kills them, and they probably take them off to the plantations in the Caribbean. De Niro, at the clip I'm going to show you, is sitting in prison, self-imposed because he killed his adulterous brother that he won't even stand trial for because his brother was a professing Jew which at that time was not a person. <laughs> and so De Niro is rotting in prison, won't eat, won't do anything, and has condemned himself. And he says, there's no redemption for me. So let's roll this clip, and let's then talk about it. Even after all these years, of see that clip every time. It kind of gets me going. It's a great illustration of something that's this gracious. You know, the justice in the film would have been what? Slit his throat. That would be justice. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Mercy, just let him keep dragging his armor and his sword and trying to work off his, you know, penance the whole time. That'd be mercy. Grace. Well, that's where they cut you loose and dump your burden over the falls. 
and you become a free person. And that's what God does for us. That's what God does for us. And that's why John Newton, the real slave trader in the 18th century, wrote Amazing Grace, wrote that song, Amazing Grace. Because one night in a storm out on the seas with a cargo full of humans, he realized that God loved him. And he repented and spent the rest of his life working against slavery. And in the movie, by the way, De Niro's character goes on to fight against slavery. You'll have to watch the movie to see how it ends. Well, I don't know where you're at these days, but maybe, maybe what I'm just trying to do this morning is correct something that maybe has gone wrong in your heart and in your faith, in your whole soul that says I've turned my whole faith into some sort of do's and don'ts and just trying to be a good person, maybe counting on some mercy from God. And, and the re- reorientation here is to go back to grace, that God is gracious, that you'd just be crushed by grace, that you would just have something that's like an explosion inside of you, maybe just a huge aha right now that would just say, I totally got this wrong. I've church my whole life and I got this wrong. This is real Christianity. This is the heart of it right here. Not the do's and don'ts. This is the heart of it. This is what changes people's lives. This is what causes people to give up their life and go out working for justice in this world and helping the poor and changing everything they have. They have. This is what's happened around here time and time again. It's the same story. People saying like, yeah, 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 I thought I knew what Christianity was all about. I had no idea that it was all centered on grace. We're going to take communion here, come forward for the Lord's table here in a moment. Servers may want to come forward now. And up front, this whole few weeks, Actually, going back into April, I think we've, we've had these candles and these crosses up front. And uh, we were using it to, for people who need to forgive somebody. But now we change it to just God is forgiving you. And so for some of you, if you're kind of having that aha moment, maybe you need to just come up and just kneel here, like put your body into it and kneel and just light a candle. Maybe some of you just need a renewal and that's why you'd want to light a candle. You just lighten a candle for yourself say, God... I'm lighting a candle for me. Maybe some of you got something else going on. Maybe you need to forgive somebody or something. You just light a candle for whatever reason. I don't care. But it's something about being forgiven through God's grace and having grace for other people. So you can do that while people come forward for communion. You can just step out of line and come over here and do it and then get back in line or whatever you want to do. Maybe is this your morning to be cut loose? from, you know, performance, religion, from legalism, from moralism, and all that? Is this your morning to say, I'm selling out. I'm going to live by grace. I'm not going to live by do's and don'ts anymore. I want to change. Maybe this is your morning to start that journey. I got a prayer for you that I'm going to put up on the screen. We're just going to leave it up the whole time. 
And so it's a prayer that maybe, maybe this would be your prayer because I know sometimes it's hard to come up with a prayer. And it just goes like this. Jesus, I- I'm amazed that you should bother about me and love me and want me to be your friend and follower. I know that there's a lot in my life that needs cleaning up. Please come and do it. Forgive me. I still have lots of questions that bother me, and I lay them all before you in this tangled mess that they are. I do believe you went to the cross for me to ransom me back from guilty past and a pointless existence. And I believe you are alive and can be with me in my soul at this moment. You invited people to come to you, and I'm coming to you now. Let it be true. So be it. See, because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and he broke it in that upper room, and he handed it out to his disciples. He says, eat this. This is like my body. This is my body, and it's broke for you. You do this in remembrance of me. You participate in me like you're eating this bread when you eat it. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, he took the cup after supper and after giving thanks. He says, drink this, all of you. This is the new covenant, my blood. This is the grace right here. So as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when you come forward, and you don't have to come forward, but for a lot of us we'll come forward because this is what marks us out, saying, like, I live by grace, not by my do's and don'ts and being good enough. When you come forward, you'll tear off a piece of the bread and dip in the chalice and just to eat it right there. Some people kneel at these little crosses off to the side or do something up front and just say, Jesus, what you see is what you get. Do with me what you want. Now, if that's not you, if that's not your conviction, then just stay in your seat. It's cool. Better to do that than to do something, you know, just because everybody else is doing it. If that's not you, then fine. Everybody's got questions. Everybody's thinking about stuff. You're at Lakeland. It's just fine. But for the rest of us, we'll come and follow our convictions and follow our bread. Now, would you stand with me, please? And let's pray, not just recite, but let's pray the words that Jesus told us how to pray. (coughs) Join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And therefore, everyone, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Join me. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Jesus Christ be as real to you as this food and drink is right now. Come forward whenever you're ready. Okay. That's everything. Let's stand. I love these words. I love ending with these words right out of Paul, out of Ephesians, where he just bust out. And so let's bust out here with our little last moment of refrigerator art. Oh, yeah, and by the way, when you leave here, you're going to wash back out into the world and be the best Jesus anybody's seen. Amen? Yeah. All right, together. Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. 
Amen. Go in peace.